0: hey everybody welcome back for another episode of podcast from p-town hope everybody's having a good week out there hope you guys all liked that episode i put out last weekend on the king ranch that was a pretty fun one to research hope it really got some good information out of that one um let's take a look at what's going on in the news this week did you guys see that Randy Quaid is seriously considering running for governor of California. That'd be kind of cool. You know, have Schwarzenegger be uh, governor and then Randy Quaid. If the Terminator couldn't fix the problems down there, Uncle Eddie sure would be able to. I also saw that the some U.S. ships fired on some Iranian ships over there. I can't remember if it was today or when they actually fired on them, but that should be kind of an interesting story to watch develop. I think Iran... Biting off a little more than they can chew if they figure on messing with the United States Navy But we'll see how that develops But anyhow, uh, tonight we are going to be talking about a gigantic turd His name is Roy Marcus Cohn And you'll see as we go through this thing that this guy, he was really something else I mean, we talked about Stalin and, you know, all the people that died under his watch And uh, Yao Ming and... Uh, that guy down in, uh, oh, that Chinese emperor guy that we talked about, but although Cohn didn't kill anybody, he was right up there, I think, ranking with, uh, those guys as far as my book's concerned. So, let's dig into it. So, this guy, he was born on February 20th of 1927, and he died on August 2nd of 1986, And he was born in the Bronx And he came from Jewish ancestry If you couldn't tell by the name And he was also an only child Which may explain some of it His mom was named Dora And his dad was a judge named Albert C. Cohn And his dad was also influential in the Democratic Party And that'll kind of play into some of it as well But he lived in his parents' home Until his mom died actually Uh, From the dates though of when she died and whatnot it looked like he was 40 years old when uh she died and then uh he ended up moving out of their house and he then he lived in new york uh he lived in dc for a while and he also lived in greenwich connecticut or greenwich i guess maybe they call it but his home life was known as being loveless and unhappy uh which helps explain a lot why he was such a turd later in life his mother would taunt him for lacking physical attractiveness and having uh, milk toast comportment I'm not exactly sure what that means But oddly enough Through all that His mom and him They were actually really close In fact one year His dad had him go to summer camp And when he left His mom rented a house near the camp So she could be close by him So they kind of had a Different relationship I guess <clears throat> But irregardless He ended up going through school And he attended Columbia College And he graduated from Columbia Law School when he was 20 years old, which is pretty amazing to graduate from there, Uh, especially back in those days, too, when they didn't really seem like they had advanced learning classes and stuff in high school. But since he graduated so early, he ended up having to wait till he was 21 to be admitted to the bar. Um, I guess they've got an age minimum for that. And I guess they probably don't run into that issue very often either. But the day he was admitted, he uh, used his family position and his dad's uh, influence to get him a job in the office of the United States Attorney, a guy by the name of Irving Sapol, and he got a job with him in Manhattan. And uh, if you remember, he was, on, he was working with Joseph McCarthy, so once he got in, uh, became an attorney, he started in on this commun- on all that communist stuff right away. Remember all the Red Scare stuff that we'd talked about. But one of his first cases was the Smith Act trials of communist party leaders. And in this case, some were saying that the communists in the U.S. were violating the Smith Act, which forbid a violent overthrow of the government. But the defendants in the act said that they were advocating for a peaceful transition to socialism. So in other words, like I said, it was kind of a Cold War era type of thing. I don't think the guys were actually saying that they weren't trying to get people to go into a socialist or communist uh, ideology, but it wasn't, didn't appear to be a real violent overthrow type of thing. But anyhow, there were 11 communist leaders that were tried in this, and I think most all of them ended up getting um, convicted in one way or another. But then in 1948, he got on the board of the American Jewish League Against Communism, so he was doing everything he could to go against the communists. Uh, while he was an attorney in Sapel's office, he would also help to convict a number of suspected Soviet operatives. And like I said in there, suspected. Not uh, really sure how many of them actually were, but uh, you know, if you catch a couple of them, that's probably a good thing, I guess. One of the things he was probably most noted for in his career was his work in the Rosenberg trial and like we talked about earlier it came in 1951 and it said that he kind of played his part up a little bigger than it actually was he claims to have gotten say appointed as chief prosecuting attorney and he also got on to uh say that he got the judge appointed in this thing as well and he went on to claim that the death penalty was based on his personal recommendation so i'm not sure if all this is true or not there's been uh a few different things I saw in different places where some say that uh, he said, well, a lot of it he did say, but other people say that uh, it, that wasn't exactly the case. Um, I think some of what he says you can throw out with the bathwater. But regardless, his work on the Rosenberg trial, it ended up did getting him noticed by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, and he was only 24 at the time when that came around. Hoover saw him, and he let McCarthy know about him, Uh, because of how they, like I was talking about, about the uh, whole Red Scare and everything. And he subsequently hired him on as chief counsel, McCarthy did. So he was actually even chosen over Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was another guy that they were looking at, but they ended up choosing uh, Cohn over Kennedy. But McCarthy and Cohn, they would uh, rain terror on the suspected communists in the United States. Neither one of them wanted to hold public hearings. They wanted to stay out of the public eye And the public scrutiny While investigating and and interrogating The suspected communists And McCarthy he would pretty much Give Cohen free reign And he would only really step in During the more publicized hearings But not very many of them Were highly publicized Like I said they kind of wanted to Do everything in the Kind of secretive or not really Highly public hearings and stuff uh, When they were prosecuting these guys I mean, like everybody knows, I'm against communism. But some of the things these guys did, it was amazing. At one point, they created what they called the Lavender Scare. And this was an attempt to increase anti-communist feelings, saying that overseas communists were convincing closeted homosexuals to send government secrets to them in return for keeping their sexuality private. And these people thought that they were supposedly... uh, Or they were saying that these people were... Federal employees who they were basically being extorted by the communists. And this went so far as to convince Dwight Eisenhower that employing homosexuals was a threat to national security. So in 1953, he ended up signing an executive order to ban, ban homosexuals from working in the federal department. And could you imagine the uproar if somebody had tried to do that today? This uh, caused people in DC that were outed as being uh, gay to commit suicide. And like I said, it all of it it seems to be kind of a ploy by McCarthy and by Cone. But the funny thing, though, as time went on, Cone, Cone actually became uh, known as to be being homosexual, but he denied being gay. And so I'm not really what, sure what the difference is. I thought those were kind of one and the same, but evidently they're not. So in all this Cohen ended up getting a buddy of his who is an an anti-communist guy. Uh, he got him on McCarthy's staff as a consultant and this guy ended up getting drafted by the army. And this was in 1953. So Cohen pressured the commanders to give his buddy's dirt to give this buddy of his light treatment and the guy got he ended up getting extra leave time, he got light duties and he got exemption from overseas assignment. And Cohn, when he would talk to this guy's commander, he went so far as to threaten the wreck of the army if his demands were not met. So he was using all the power that he had to make sure this guy was taken care of. And with this going on, it kind of caused the Army-McCarthy hearings of 1954. And in this uh, lawsuit or whatever, the Army charged that Cohn and McCarthy were using improper pressure on shine the guy's name was david shine by the way uh they're using improper pressure on shine's behalf so conan and mccarthy they charged back that the army was holding shine hostage in an attempt to squelch mccarthy's investigations into communists in the army and so it was just kind of a stalemate going back and forth kind of a he said she said thing but the hearings ended up being focused more on Cohn than on mccarthy But it also kind of led to McCarthy's eventual disgrace, Um, you know, just being in the same area with that type of stuff going on uh, with the name that McCarthy had kind of led to his downfall. But then uh, shortly after that, Cone ended up leaving McCarthy's staff and he went on and uh, went into private practice. His private practice, it was based in New York and he ended up having private practice for about 30 years, I think it was. And in this practice, he had A-list clients. He's, uh, some of the clients that he had were like Donald Trump, Jordan Steinbrenner, Aristotle Onassis, John Gotti. There is a whole host of guys that, uh, big name people that he ended up representing while he was doing his uh, private practice. But throughout Cohen's career, there were accusations of theft, obstruction, extortion, tax evasion. Bribery, blackmail, fraud, perjury, and witness tampering—and that's just to name some of them. Uh, he was a pretty, uh, pretty bad guy. But in his social life, he seemed to be uh, pretty active. He was often a charitable giver. It seems like he gave out quite a bit to donations and that type of thing. But on the other side of that, he also came across as having a combative yet loyal personality he would end up sending threatening letters to people who dared to sue one of his clients. So it kind of seems like he was a bully to people most of his life. He was registered Democrat, but he often supported Republican presidents, which people at his level, uh, where he was at, it seems kind of weird. They seem It seems like people that are in that class or whatnot, they kind of tend to p- toe the party line more than others. But he served as served as an informal advisor to Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. Well, One thing I forgot to mention, one of his other clients was Alan Dershowitz. And I think Dershowitz was legal counsel for Jeffrey Epstein, who didn't kill himself. But anyhow, Cohen had some lengthy lawsuits in which he worked for Trump and he also worked for Rupert Murdoch. And all around, he just seemed to use his influence to pressure people into getting what he wanted. Um, like... I had mentioned at the very beginning, his dad was influential in the Democratic Party and whatnot. And this guy, he, with his combative personality, he would kind of just bully people into getting what he wanted. But it seems what goes around comes around. And during, there were federal inga- investigations of this guy in the 1970s and 1980s, and he was charged three times with professional misconduct. And this included perjury and witness tampering. And then he was also charged in New York with financial improprieties related to city contracts and private investments. But on this one, he ended up being acquitted of all on all the charges. Because uh, also during this, he had his gang of stars, I guess you'd call them, show up to testify about what an upstanding guy he was. There's uh, In the some of the research I saw, there was a whole list of people, Barbara Walters and some other people came to talk about uh, what a good guy he was. And so... He ended up getting acquitted on the charges But In 1986 the appellate court After he got Acquitted of the charges The the appellate court ended up having him disbarred And I think it was five different judges That were on that uh, appellate court So they disbarred him from Legal practice for unethical And unprofessional conduct And He should have looked at it and said What do you expect? I'm a lawyer That's kind of in the rule book But this next thing is just unbelievable. Talk about unethical and unprofessional. He actually tried to force a guy in a coma to change his will, making him and the guy's granddaughter the beneficiary. And it was said that he forced the pen into the guy's hand and helped him sign his signature. But the judges said that it it wasn't a legal signature because it was totally indecipherable. But that's just, that's despicable to do something like that. But remember that the David Shine guy that we had talked about? Well, uh, speculation started coming up that he and Cohn may have had more than just a buddy buddy relationship. And it would explain why Cohn was trying to keep him safe in the army and all that. But Cohn obviously denied any hanky panky between the two. And uh, he actually testified in the Army McCarthy hearings that there really wasn't anything more than just a friendship going on there. But there was still the speculation. And the speculation rose even higher that Cohn um, actually ended up dying of AIDS in 1986. And if you remember in the Liberace episode, you know, when he died of AIDS, there were a lot of people back in those days that ended up contract contracting that illness, but they kept it secret for years and years and years and would never admit to how they got it. But a quote by Roger Stone after Cohn's death basically sums it up for him. He says, Roy was not gay. He was a man who liked having sex with men. Gays are weak effeminate, or weak and effeminate. He always seemed to have these young l- blonde boys around. It just wasn't discussed. He was interested in power and access. So that guy kind of summed up uh, what the speculation was all about. So you can take it and run with it as you will. But it was also known that Code had, Cone did have many long-term boyfriends over his life. And one of them actually died of AIDS in 1984. But finally, uh, Roy Cohn—he ended up dying in Bethesda, Maryland, on August 2nd of 1986. Like I said, he ended up dying of AIDS. So he got his in the end, in more ways than one. After he died, though, the IRS ended up seizing almost everything that he had. And Roger Stone had another—or said something else about him about Cohn. That he admitted wanting to die completely broke and owing millions to the IRS, and at that he actually succeeded at. But he was buried in Union Field Cemetery in Queens. And I guess as a final note, I'm kind of ashamed to say that the greatest president we've had in recent years was closely associated to him. Like I said, Cohn was Trump's uh, legal counsel and helped him with building a lot of different or developing a lot of different properties. Over the years and whatnot, but hopefully, Trump has learned to make better decisions in his business dealings over the years and by which attorneys that he ends up picking. So, that's kind of it for this uh, Ray Cohen guy. Um, like I say, he was uh, definitely not a real great guy. Anyhow, if you're liking the podcast or if you're not, go out there and uh, give us a five star rating and review on. Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Um, you can go out and join the Podcasts from P-Town group on Facebook. Be kind of neat to get some interaction going back and forth with people on there. Uh, kind of see what different people's thoughts are about different things. Or you can follow me on P-Town Podcast on Instagram and give me your thoughts on anything that you want to give me your thoughts on or if you have ideas for something you want me to research or even if you have a story that you've researched or something and you want me to read it on the podcast i'd be more than happy to do that or you can send it as a good old email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com thanks a lot for listening and for sticking with me on this and we'll see you guys on the next one